Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open them with me to the book of John. The kids can be dismissed for Sunday school. That's two in a row, isn't it? That's... Well, where, where are we at in your Bibles now? John chapter 8, that's where we need to be. John chapter 8. If you have a piece of paper in your Bible and you want to mark Ephesians chapter 2, uh, I would just encourage you to do that. We'll, Lord willing, look at that as well as a cross-reference. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 35 And um, I'm going to read verse 35 through 38 uh, this morning with you, and we'll look at uh, God's Word together. Let me go back to verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do do what you have heard from your Father. And this is God's holy, infallible, inspired word. On Friday morning, in our uh, normal Friday activity at 8 o'clock, we gather here. The men gather before Bible study, and we sit around a table, look at each other. Uh, We do some joking, as you can imagine, uh, because, men, it's hard to get serious. We have to work our way up to that. But we take prayer requests, and that is a time where we work our way around the table, and we go to the Lord in prayer, very similar to our, our Wednesday night, except for... Uh, one by one, we take turns praying for the things that have been mentioned. Sometimes we go clockwise, which is helpful for me. Uh, other times we go counterclockwise, which throws me off. But I'm just one among many, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, this uh, past Friday morning, as we were going through that routine, and partly because I've been thinking about this topic last week and This week, I noticed most everyone's prayer started the same way. And I'm sure you could guess how that started, right? Father, or our Father who art in heaven, or my heavenly Father. And then so you had this guy that said it, and this guy that said it, and so on around the table. And it was kind of joining together, claiming this familial relationship to our heavenly Father. Now, this may not sound strange to those of you who have brothers and sisters and you begin to talk about your father and it's Father's Day and maybe you you communicate how terrible he was or how good he was, however that works in in your family situation. We're used to hearing that, that language of my father referring to the same individual. What is remarkable in this diverse setting with all of these different people with different accents from Remo to me and to people from New Jersey, um, is that we have none of that natural relationship, and yet we're all brought together in this declaration of our Heavenly Father. What a beautiful thing that is. It is right, and 
It is amazing as you consider that. 19th century um, rise of liberalism, uh, they sought to synthesize the religious experience. What exactly is the common denominator in religious expression or experience? And they reduced it to many simple truths. One was this idea of the universal fatherhood of God. God is the creator of all things, so God is the father of all things, namely all people. And not only is this universal fatherhood of God, but there's this universal brotherhood of man. Now, religious dogmas and all the distinctions that tend to separate religion are just expressions of some kind of God consciousness. It's just how you think of God, view of God, how God comes to your mind. But at the heart is this uniting reality of the divine, this father figure. Uh, This past weekend or last weekend, was sitting in a sermon. Some of you were there, and I won't mention who and were, but it was local. And sitting listening to a man who was speaking on the issue and the subject of prayer, and he ended that talk with a quote from Gandhi. And I was just amazed that we're looking at the wisdom of Gandhi to, to find out what prayer is. Is it really something like this, or is there something more going on when we come together corporately and say, Our Heavenly Father? In fact, it brings the question, who has the right to even say our Heavenly Father? Not only who has the right, but who has the right to claim the promises and the privileges of being a child of God? Is there something more precise going on, more of a distinction? In fact, what you find in our text in John chapter number 8, Jesus already alludes to that in verse 38, that you're doing... What you have heard from your father, they claim Abraham, they'll claim God in a little bit. And so he presses on them, your heritage is from somewhere else. And it's surprising when we find out Jesus' answer to that. So on a day like today, I think it's well to serve uh, us and beneficial to us to consider this reality, not just this claim of having God as our father. Notice Uh, You see down here in verse number 41, you're doing the works of your father. uh, They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father. So I don't want to just consider this kind of negative exposure of your lying. That's what he does here in this text. But I want us to consider along with that the blessedness of what it means to be a child of God. If you like doctrinal terms and and subjects, it would cover the subject of our adoption or what the Christian and Bible teaches about adoption. How do we belong to the family of God when we were by nature children of wrath? Ephesians 2, verse number 3, or 1 through 3. Well, first of all, let's consider the fact that Jesus is teaching us that God has no grandchildren. That our claim to belonging to God is not by natural lineage. It's not the fact that you were born from Abraham, that you were naturally or physically a Jew, your DNA and all that comes from that, that lineage. That is not how we might claim this reality of being in the family of God. 
And it's a good reminder to us this morning that that to claim as being his child and the promises and blessings that come along with that do not come necessarily because our parents were Christians or our grandparents or whatever other godly heritage that we may have had growing up. Uh, That's the very thing that they are putting their hope in here. As they have said, they are the offspring of Abraham. They were never in bondage earlier in verse number 33. And then later on, uh, they again asserting this, saying we have one father, not just Abraham, but God's because we belong to Abraham. And Jesus is exposing us. And just as we belong in a natural descendant to someone, some family line, so we, we have this belonging in a spiritual sense. In fact, we might look at Ephesians 2 that fleshes some of this out if you have your Bible with us. And he reminds us, Ephesians 2, verse number 12 and verse number 13 He says this, after giving this great um, work of salvation, how God has worked in us, and it's by grace that we're saved through faith. He says, verse number 12, remember that you were at time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, he's not saying that you were outside of God's presence in the sense of God is everywhere except where you're at. He's saying you're without the blessedness and the life-givingness that comes from communion and fellowship with God. Every one of us are born in that state, as he mentions children of wrath earlier. We are separated from him. And we have no right in and of ourselves as being human even being his creation, to claim him as our heavenly father. That may sound tough and difficult to say, but this is really what they're working through here in John chapter number 8. Already they have said, verse number 39, uh, they have said Abraham is our father and they're they're rooting their lineage and, and that as being belonging to God and having that life and promise that comes from that. And verse number 39, Jesus answered them, or they said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. So you're nothing like your father, Abraham. If Abraham were truly your father, and here we know he's not speaking of a physical sense because they were descendants of Abraham. We're kind of all in agreement with that. We don't need to argue that. So he says, Abraham is not your father in another way. You do not belong to Abraham as children of the promise. You belong to him as children of the seed, as in the natural descendant, but not in this spiritual sense as as you're claiming him to be. The very fact that you don't act like Abraham is a reminder that you don't belong to Abraham. And they've pressed further, not only is claiming Abraham is their father, we already noted this, then God is our father, and Jesus exposes that, doesn't he, in verse number 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Another way of saying Jesus is telling them, if God is your father, you sure don't act like it. 
If you're truly a child of God, uh, in the kingdom of God, how can you, and we'll see the marks of what it means to be a child of God in just a moment, but how can you claim that and reject me, who I am the one who have come from God, who has come from God? And then, of course, there's also this reality in verse number 44. You are of your father. Now, if you haven't ever read John before, who do you think he would say? He says, you're of your father, the devil. You know the old expression like father, like son. How many of you have said growing up, I'm never going to, some of you guys have said this, I'm sure, because I've said that I'm never going to be like my dad. And, and what happens? You, you somewhere, maybe it's midlife crisis, you come along and says, you know what, I'm starting to sound and look a lot like my dad, you know, like father, like son. And what Jesus is saying to them, you, you are doing exactly what your father, the devil, does. One, you're lying. He was a liar from the beginning. Notice verse number 44, you're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth and you do not believe me, Later on, he convicts them of wanting to murder him just as the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And what is he saying? Well, in essence, he's saying this, that you are enslaved, he mentioned earlier, and you are under the, the will and the direction of your father, which is the devil. And it isn't belonging to the family of God or the promises of God. It isn't belonging in the natural sense. It's not your physical descendant. Uh, and, and your heritage that will unite you to this promise, there's something else that must go on. In fact, what First John reminds us, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for from the devil, or for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. If anything, he's telling these leaders, and it's a reminder to us, that in our rebellion against God, in our sinful state, we are, at, we are opposite of what it means to be a child of God, and we are mirroring the very, uh, the very rebellion that the devil himself displayed. And so to make this point at the beginning of this, that we are a part of a family. We're born into a part of a family in a natural sense. But in a spiritual sense, the Bible says we're spiritually dead. We're in darkness. And so we have no right just by some natural level. It's not just a given that we are God's children in that sense. It's not a universal right held by all people. And that sounds very hard to say that. But Jesus, if he's saying anything, is making a distinction, just claiming to be a child of God doesn't make it so. Now, that's not to say that we're not without hope. Because clearly the Bible teaches us that there are children of God. There are those who can have promise. And, and, and the question we should be asking is, how do we get that right? How do we get that privilege where we might cry out, our Father which is in heaven? The Bible says that for us, plainly in John 1, if you turn back there, in verse number 12 in John's prologue, In 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To all who received him, he gave that authority, that right, that privilege to be called the children of God. Now, Jesus mentioned earlier in verse number 35 of chapter number 8, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. And if the son set you free, you will be free indeed. And this is really kind of going in of what he's saying here. We're not just freed from the bondage of sin and slavery, which we talked about last week, that in Christ and in his death and resurrection, he, 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 he freed us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin and one day eventually the presence of sin. But it's what he's freed us to. And it's not just separated from our old life, but it's brought into a, a new life or a new creation in Christ Jesus. But it also speaks of this as belonging to the family of God. And so our adoption is based on the foundation of us being brought into the family of God is is founded on the cross of Christ. It's founded on his death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, Andrew shared with us on Wednesday night, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because your sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave. There's that language. He who commits sin is a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the Bible teaches us all throughout the New Testament that the reality of us coming to God and having any right to, to cling to him and cling to his promises is rooted in the fact that Jesus died and rose again. We can't escape that. We can't go around that. So even in John 1, as many as receive him, speaking about Christ, he's saying receive the, the full finished work of Christ. Receive the gospel and the good news in which it brings to us. And so we see here in Galatians, Ephesians 2, if you have that in front of you, notice again, we read verse number 12, we were without hope in this world and without God. Verse number 13 begins with these beautiful words, but now, don't you like that? It tells you what it was like, but it's not like that anymore. That's what that language tends to, that's what it conveys to us. But now, but notice the the way he mentions this, what has changed in Christ. It is in Christ that we have, we have this hope and we have the presence with God in this world. We have covenants and promises. He says, it is in Christ you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice again in verse number 18. For through him, speaking of Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Notice the last of verse number 19. Members of the household of God. Our belonging to God and our adoption is based upon the the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is all given to us through Him. And in fact, not only is it given to us through Him, but we share in His own sonship. That's why in Galatians 4, He doesn't just say children's there. We are made sons because Christ is the true Son and true Heir. 
He is the foundation, our foundation, and he has purchased our belonging to God. That's what Ephesians 2 is saying. Our, our belonging and being brought near has been purchased through him. It is through him, united to him, that we might crawl, cry out, Abba, Father. In fact, God brings us into his family through the expense and the experience of Jesus, his true unique son. But on what basis or what motivation? Now, it's worth noting in the New Testament era, adoption was for several different reasons. One, they didn't do it like we do now. We, we adopt uh, because of need and to show compassion and mercy and some other things like that. Most of the time when they adopted, they adopted because of deficiency in their family. A man or a family, a great man who did not have an heir would oftentimes adopt someone, or maybe he did have an heir, but he didn't like him. He was incompetent. Maybe that happened. But he would adopt someone as his son to become an heir because there was a deficiency in his family structure. There was a need that he needed filled. It was to provide what was lacking. There's also the reality that that adoption took place for reasons of succession. Because the father wouldn't live forever, his title, his land, his estates, his privileges would continue on through that adopted son. But God is eternal and he has no need. And so when he adopts us, he doesn't adopt us to take over the universe, right, after he's gone. Because he's got lacking inside himself and he can't, he can't fit that need or an heir. His heir is always on the throne, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the only begotten Son of God. He is eternal, glorious in all inheritance and glory is his. And in fact, what you find is in this process, out of his love, the overflow and the fullness of his love, does he bring us in not to succeed Christ, but to share in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful thought? We share his glory. We share his inheritance. It's not out of lack, but it's out of fullness that this takes place. And it's a truth that really is beyond our grasp, isn't it? The vastness of his divine act to give such a gift really exceeds our ability to comprehend it. As John would say, what manner of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called what? It's an amazing thought. Not just called children of God. We who were one time far off at enmity with God, at, at arms, at war with God. That's what that means. We were rebellious and yet He has sanctified us and He has redeemed us and justified us and He brings us into His family, stamping on to us the name of Son and giving to us that glorious, precious privilege of calling out our Father who is in heaven. In fact, it is really that motivation of love which the Bible tells us that all this is to be. Uh, Jesus, if he had not stretched your imagination that he came from the Father to do the will of the Father and please the Father, surely he stretches our ability to comprehend in John 17 when he says that the world may know that you sent me and loved them. Who's the them in that passage? That's you if you're in Christ. 
But you have loved them, not as some kind of secondhand love, even as you loved me. Isn't that remarkable? No wonder when Paul, speaking about these truths of the body of Christ being united together in this one family and all the boldness that we have in verse number 12 of chapter 3 in Ephesians, he just breaks out in, in, in prayer and in praise, praising God and praying that that according to his riches glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that you may dwell in your heart. So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. How are we? How can we have this confidence? We can only have it through Jesus Christ. With those who have received Christ... To them gave he the authority, the right to be called the sons of God. But what are the evidence of us being a child of God? As we've already seen in John chapter number 8, many were saying, even the Jews were saying to him, who had that natural lineage of being from Abraham and associated with the promises and the covenants and all the things and blessings that they have. And they, they just boldly step out. God is our father. We have one father and it's God himself. And you and I know that there's many things in this day and age which bear the name of Christian that is far from God. Would you agree with that? Is that too far-fetched of a statement to make? Just like we, in a natural sense, when you adopt someone or when a child is born into your family, they take your name. So there is these evidences, these claims that that mark us as being the family of God. Well, these natural, uh, natural things, or we might call these attributes... Uh, that we possess, and he gives us several of these in John chapter number 8, and let's look at these to show us uh, that we belong to him. And the first of which is found in verse number 39, as they claim to be, or they claim Abraham to be their father, Jesus said, To them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. How do we know that we're the child of God? And I believe it begins with by the the expression, the act of the the display of faith in our lives. The very thing that Abraham over and over is known by throughout the New Testament is his belief in God. He did not waver at the promises of God. Uh, he believed him. He he trusted in his promises. It was by this faith that uh, that he served God. It was by this faith that he took his family from Ur and went wherever he went. It was by this faith that he offered up Isaac. Over and over, the Hebrew writer reminds us of this. In fact, it is by receiving and believing and, and resting in Christ and his finished work, faith in God, that we have this confidence that we're brought in 
to his family. And it's not just faith, it's a, it's a rejoicing anticipation. Notice verse number 56 of chapter number 8. Verse number 56 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced uh, that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. What's going on here? Well, some suggest here in seeing his day, he had an understanding through that covenant promise in Genesis chapter number 15 of God's messianic uh, kingdom that would come. Maybe that is it. Others argue, well, this is his rejoicing at the birth of Isaac when the promise that God made him began to come into fruition. From you who are, uh, are childless of yourself, I will make a great nation and God gives him a son. Whatever it was in particular that Jesus has in mind, what he reminds us is he did not just believe in God, it was rejoicing, trusting in God in anticipation of the coming of Christ. How do we know we're God's children? We are people of faith, not just people of faith, but people of faith in God and people of faith in God's message. The second thing is noted for us in verse number 41 through 42, and that is a love for the Son of God. What marks us as children of God? What is part of the name that rests upon us, if you want to put it that way, and that is because we love the Son of God. Notice what he says here. We have one Father, even God, into verse number 41. And Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, if this were true, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here, and come not of my own accord, but he sent me. There's a lot that could be said about this and argued out about this, but one thing is clear, that those who are children of God will love the Son of God. You can't claim him as your heavenly father and the promise and blessings and the inheritance and all of that and have no affection, no love for Christ. It's impossible. It's the very foundation that unites us to the father, the very substance of our hope, the very object of our faith. And and so we can't be passive as it comes about this. We have an affection and a devotion that works its way out in thanksgiving. If the father who has always loved the Son from eternity past, always beholding the Son face to face, John 1, and the Son who has always pleased the Father has sent Him into the world and given Him to us as a propitiation for our sins, then that natural Spirit of God work in us will be a love and thanksgiving to Him. I'm saying this morning to you, many of you already know, and some of you may want to... Uh, consider in your own heart, do I really love Christ? It's easy to speak of God in general terms. And I hate to say as a, early in my years of preaching, that's how I preached. God talk, you know, you, you speak of God in broad brush strokes. And, and, and one day, I can't remember exactly when it was, I come back down to this reality that he has given us a name under heaven whereby we might be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. Those who belong to the Father also belong to the Son, and this brings about a deep affection and devotion to Him. And Jesus explains it like this, not only a deep affection and uh, devotion, it's fleshed out in the fact of abiding in Him. Notice earlier 
that he said in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. How do you know you love the Son of God? There's this abiding in his word and obedience to what the word of God says, obedience to what Christ has communicated to us. And I would say also manifested in our love for the Son of God is our confidence and our praise. That was cool. Our confidence in our praise. You think about songs like In Christ Alone and those songs like that. Does it lift your heart? As a reminder that your confidence as you stand before God on the day of judgment isn't anything, doesn't have anything to do with you and what you did. It has all to do with Him. And, and our confidence, we consider our own mortality is, is found in the sufficiency and the, and the sustaining grace given to us through Christ himself. What is my only comfort in life and death? That we are his and we are not our own. We are the fathers and we are the sons. He is our confidence. And, and as he is our confidence, he is our praise not only does that mark us, this love for the Son of God and this, uh, this faith which is believing the Word of God, but also this love that we have for one another. In fact, Jesus tells us this in John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment. This is how you will express your love for me, is what he's telling his disciples. And what is it? We want to know. It should mark us, Right? Well, he says that you love one another as I have loved you. It is evident that we belong to the family of God because of the love, the love and the unity, the prayer, the affection that we have, not just for people in general. We should have a general love for people, but a people especially those who are of the household of faith. Because they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because the same purchased blood that redeemed Jews, the same purchased blood that redeemed them. There's a joy in that togetherness in so much, not just a joy, but a witness in that. And so much where Jesus says, this is how they're going to know you're following me by your love, by your love for one another. And that's why we find disunity and Bitterness in the family of God, a disease that corrodes its joy because we walk contrary or walking inconsistent with the grace of God and the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts. We're, we're pulling against the grain of the Spirit's work in us and the gospel work in us. And so we, we are marked not only by our love for the Son of God and our, our faith, but our love for one another. And I would say also by our holiness. Not a very popular idea. Ephesians 5 tells us this, be imitators of God as beloved children. The very fact that he says you're just like your father, the devil, he's a liar, he's a murderer, you're seeking, you're doing both of those things actively at this point. It kind of brings us back to that like father, like son. And, and the child of God, the Christian, the believer begins to imitate and look a lot like their heavenly father. And not by your nose or your chin or all that other crazy stuff that we look at our own kids and got your dad's chin or, you know, your mom's ears or 
or whatever, all that nonsense, you know, that's fun, I guess, in some ways. But by our character, you begin to look a lot more and more like Jesus. And if you lack these fruits, if you lack these attributes in your life, then it really should trouble you. It should trouble me when I see these things missing in my life. There's something deficient either in our actions. That means our walking against to what God has called us and against to the privilege of being His child or it's a deficiency in our claims. That's about all you're left with. Now let me just offer a word of grace here. That is not to say we will possess all four of these characteristics in perfection in other words you will not have all faith uh, and you will never struggle with doubt and 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 unbelief and and tension of of how it works out in your life and you will not love the son of god to where you're satisfied to say that i fully loved you lord and i could love you no more and maybe you feel like you could say that as a professor Old Testament professor, he's a, and they're kind of quirky if you've ever met one. I mean, I don't know, say Hebrew, I guess, I, whatever it is. And he says, he never says, I love you, God, or I love you, Jesus. And he says, I always say, I hope I do. Because I don't want my loves just to be an affirmation of words, but I want it to be an affirmation of action. Which you had a whole classroom of pastors saying, that's cool, we disagree with you. So that was fun too. But nevertheless, there's this reality that we we want to grow in our understanding of his love for us and our love for him. And dear Christians, you that have been walking with Christ for a long time now, isn't there a deeper uh, reality of his love for you and a desire for him? And even our love for one another, we, we have hiccups and bumps along the way, church, don't we? Anybody can say amen to that? There's times where we need to ask forgiveness. We need reconciliation. Uh, So we don't manifest all these things perfectly. We're not always walking in holiness and always reflect God in every situation. Greg and Nancy's moving. Is there always a manifestation of holiness in this process? You don't have to answer that. As a rhetorical question which means you don't need to answer. The truth is we're growing in sanctification, church. But even in our infancy, in, the, in Christ, even as a new believer, the seeds of these things are manifested and present in us. I'm saying to you this morning, it's the same thing I say to my own heart. Are these marks evident in your life that you belong to the family of God? We can say we're God's children, but are you God's children? How do you know? The Bible gives us evidences and marks. First John is a, is a great place to begin there with that. Are we, do we have a love for the Son of God, a love for one another, a, a likeness in holiness, and do we believe the gospel? Let me just close with a few blessings. That was my intention to get to. Let me close with a few blessings of being God's children. The London Baptist Confession and many of the older confessions pretty much state the same thing. I won't read the whole article on adoption. I'll re- read the, the, the outworking of that uh, for you. He says, or they, 
stated, we receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, we're pitied, protected, provided for, chastened by him as a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inheritance and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. There's seven things they list here, and I won't go through all seven just for the sake of, of endurance and, and your patience, but I do want to highlight a couple of these. What are the blessings we have as we call on him as our Heavenly Father? And the very first one is that we get to call on him as our Heavenly Father. That you come to him in prayer. That, that the child, his children have his ear, so to speak. Is always bent down. And some of you have seen that when you've got grandchildren. People are talking to you and the grandchildren come by. And, and you might as well just be invisible until that grandchildren's done getting that attention, you know, at that setting. Because they have that, that ear. What the Bible tells us is God is attentive. We have boldness, access to draw near to God to call Him our Heavenly Father. It is right and good when we pray to pray as Jesus taught us, our Father who has in heaven or who is in heaven, because we have an older brother, a great high priest always interceding for us. That boldness is opened up to you. You can pray to him. He hears you. But not only prayer, but there is that protection. He protects us. I want you to consider this. If God has displayed such love in your hell-bound state as to show mercy and compassion when you were actively violating his law, set yourself on the throne as God in your own world. If he loved you in that state so much that he would give you his only begotten son to redeem you, will he forsake you and not keep you now? that you have been justified, you have been sanctified and cleansed, that you have been indwelt by the gift of the Holy Spirit, will he, not, will he not keep you now much more? It brings us back to that reality that, that the truth of belonging to his family and the price he prayed to bring us in to that family is, is really our great comfort. And at times in our lives, or times when some of you, some more than others, battle with, with like the little school kid with a flower plucking the petals. Now he loves me. Now he don't. Now he loves me. Now he don't. Now I'm a child of God. Now I'm not. And the Bible tells us to look to the cross because he is not fickle. He's not hot one day and cold the other. That if we belong to him, if we've been forgiven of our sins, then there is therefore now What? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And not only in that sense of keeping us from eternal judgment, but his protection, his, his continual protection and pity that he gives to us now. Psalms 103.13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Uh, I was talking to someone this past week about Jesus as he was... He was entering into Jerusalem, that moment where he cried over the city of Jerusalem, O oh, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you together. Is not the mercy and pity of our Lord great, even to those who are under the judgment of God, those who would in that very week crucify him, 
And dear friends, don't you know that he knows exactly where you're at and what's going on in your life, and he is moved by the things that you're facing. We, the Bible tells us that we have a great high priest that is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He's not stoic and cold and indifferent, running the universe and don't have time with your problems and your worries and your fears. Not only does he protect us, not only has he given us access to prayer or given us the gift and right to pray, but he pities his own. But I would say, fourthly, he provides for us. Jesus says in two ways about the providence of God that he takes care of the birds of the air, doesn't he? Uh, They don't do all the stuff that we do to get ready in the morning. He feeds them. Flowers, they just get mowed down plucked out or whatever they are and yet God takes care of them are you not much more valuable than they what is he telling them he's saying do you not trust the heavenly father to take care of your needs even as he teaches us to pray the prelude to that the beginning of that is we, we pray to a father who knows what you have need of before you even ask him and wherever you are this morning God knows what you have and what you are in need of and he will provide. Two more things let me mention very quickly. And one is he not only provides for us, not only does he pity us, not only do we have that gift and access to pray, but he also disciplines us. Who does God correct? The ones he loves. How do you know you belong to the Father? Because the Father disciplines his own children, the ones he loves. It is an expression of his love. He loves us too much to leave us in our mess and in our sins. He brings correction into our lives. And last, that gift and blessing of belonging to the fathers, not only does he redeem us from even our sinful ways in correcting us, but he has shared with us and given us inheritance with the saints. John chapter number 8, if you still have that open in front of you. There's a contrast in verse number 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. saying those who are outside of God, those who are in bondage to sin, and and that way they they will be removed from the house. There's a temporariness, there's a... There's a, it transits like smoke. They're, they're not going to be there forever. They'll be moved on. But notice the transition or the contrast. The sun remains forever. That's the very gift he gives to us, isn't it? Permanence in his presence, in his kingdom, in his presence. And that is our great, great hope and joy this morning. Well, let me close this way. You that are here this morning gathering, is this your family? Does this describe your life and your hope? Do you belong to the family of God? Have you received the Son and thereby the right to call on Him, Abba, Father? That gift is extended to you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the very reason He came into the world, to save sinners. Not just to save them from the bondage of sin, but save them to become part of the family of God and to share in his glory and inheritance. What a precious gift. Have you received that yourselves? And for the rest of us, as we think about Father's Day today and we think about all the things going on and 
and memory. What, what great reason we have to rejoice today. To think about all the blessings that come with being called a child of God. It begins with Christ, doesn't it? Father, we thank you for this time we gather together this morning. Pray that you would just let these words resonate in our heart and mind, those things which are are needed. I pray that you would let remain in those things which need to to be left aside. That would happen as well. Father, I pray for one here this morning who or maybe many that don't know you. God, we don't become your child just automatically or because we are associated with Christians, but we become a child because we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray even even now that you would reveal that to them and that they would do that. They that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Be with us this day and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.